Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you Jody Glickman. Ever since I finished my career as a Division I All-American athlete, I longed for not only the clarity of purpose that I had as an athlete, but also the accountability that comes with aspiring for big goals with a team of like-minded people. Then I discovered mastermind groups. Masterminds are small groups of like-minded people who get together either in person or over Skype or just over the phone to provide support, feedback, and advice to other members of the group. So I dove in and I learned all I could about mastermind groups, and then I finally launched my own. And the change was instant. I regained the accountability of being part of a group of like-minded, hardworking individuals who hold me to a higher standard. My mastermind group helps me get feedback and advice and even validation when I'm making big, big decisions in my life. And I have clarity and focus and accountability again, just like when I was an athlete. I've now facilitated dozens of high performers in mastermind groups. I'm talking Olympians and MBAs and neurosurgeons and professional athletes and, and entrepreneurs and lots of others. I've taken everything you need to know to start your own mastermind group and I put it into a short 10-page ebook titled The Quick and Easy Guide to Starting Your Own Mastermind Group in 30 Days or Less. Grab a copy of this free ebook by going to jimharshawjr.com slash mastermind. That's jimharshawjr.com slash mastermind. You never know where your next guest is going to come from when you're in this business. And this time, it came from an unlikely source in my sister. She actually saw Jody speak at a conference that she was at in Salt Lake City. And Jody was the keynote speaker. And it was just amazing. And Don said, hey, you have to check out Jody and, and maybe have her as a guest on your podcast. So I, I checked her out, looked her up. And uh, man, uh, just some great stuff, amazing stuff. And, and that's exactly uh, what came to fruition in our conversation that you're about to listen to. We talk about communication, which is kind of a, a blah topic if you think about it. But she makes it real for us in terms of how it can impact your career, how it can change your life, how it can actually make you more engaged in your work. If you're a leader, how you can engage others into their work even better. And she gives us real actionable, practical stuff, like actual scripts. She actually says, here's how you can say this. When you're faced with this challenge, here's an example of what you can say. So before uh, we get into that, let me just read you her bio. So Jody Glickman is passionate about developing leaders. As the CEO and founder of Great On The Job, Jody and her team have reached hundreds of thousands of the brightest minds across corporate America and academia, working with many of the most influential organizations and brands, including LinkedIn, JP Morgan, Abbott, and Harvard Business School, being among her longest standing clients. Jody has appeared on the TEDx stage. Uh, she's the author of the critically acclaimed book, Great On The Job, What To Say, how to Say It, The Secrets of Getting Ahead, and she is a writer for the Harvard Business Review. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Jody Glickman. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you. Why don't we just start with this? Give us the 30,000-foot view of your background. Tell us where you grew up and kind of the, the short story of how you got from there to here. Okay, I will do that. Although I can't, I can't start with my background based on my 
firm belief in what I do. I always tell people, Jim, to lead with their destination. So let me tell you about like who I am and what I care about. And then I, let's do it. Backstory. So um, my name is Jody Glickman. I'm the CEO and founder of a leadership development firm called Great on the Job. And I really care deeply about developing people's talents in, in the workspace as they relate to communication skills, interpersonal skills, soft skills, because I truly believe at the core of everything I sort of stand for that technical skills are a commodity. They are check the box skills and they are, you know, table stakes, but for you to get ahead in life, in work, in career, in love, whatever it is, it really is all about your ability to communicate and your ability to build relationships. So that's what I care about. And that's what I spend all my time doing. And then, and then I can go into the background. That is a great way to introduce yourself. I appreciate that. You kind of give, you give us a good perspective of, of who you are and what you're about. Um, so if, yeah, and if you don't mind, we'd love yeah. to get the background story too. I will. And, and what I always say truly is like, no one really cares about your background. They, they <laughs> care more about what you're doing and what you care about and, sure. and what you're excited about. But in terms of my background, I have a, um, a totally nonlinear background. Doesn't make sense if you, you know, try to plot the lines, but I started my career as a Peace Corps volunteer in Latin America. I spent two years in a little town called Curarewe in Southern Chile, and it was amazing. And then from there, I got myself hired as an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. So like totally, right? Who goes from Peace Corps to Goldman Goldman Sachs? Doesn't happen that often. And I also spent time at the Environmental Protection Agency in Washington, D.C. And then I went to work for ExxonMobil for a summer. So I had all of these really disparate experiences. I did wind up going to business school. I went to the Johnson School at Cornell. I have an interesting story about that if you want at some point, but sort of talked my way into a full ride scholarship to business. Yeah. Let us, let's hear it now. You can't leave us hanging like that. So <laughs> let's hear it. Well, I was coming off of five years in the public sector. I'd worked, I'd been in the Peace Corps. I'd worked for the EPA and I was really frustrated with bureaucracy and government and how lo- long it took to get things done. And I thought I got to get out of the public sector. So I applied to business school and I was super excited to move in that direction, although I literally knew nothing about business. I mean, I had never seen a P&L in my entire life, but I didn't know how I was going to fund business school. I was coming off of five years in the public service, right? I had no money and my family didn't have money to, to support me. And so there was this amazing leadership Park Fellows Leadership Program that I was really interested in at Cornell. And it was a full ride scholarship for business school students with a demonstrated interest in and commitment to public service and community development. And I thought, oh my God, like that's me. They yeah, that's for you. me, right? So I apply to Cornell, I get accepted, and I don't get the scholarship. And I'm devastated. And so this is back in 1999. I pick up the phone and I call the director of the program. And back in the day, people used to answer their phones, right? There was like, right? There was like no iPhone that was screaming for, of course. Yeah. If you don't, if I don't recognize a call, I rarely answer it these days. No, of course not. So the director of the program, Clint Seidel, picks up the phone and we start talking. And against all odds, he's a return Peace Corps volunteer as well. So, you know, that was an, unbelievable coincidence. Sure. We really connected and we started talking and I told him why I was the absolute right candidate for this program, what I wanted to accomplish, how I was going to contribute to the school, what I brought to the table. And then the next day he called me and he offered me $72,000 to go to business school. Wow. 
Yeah. So it wow. was, it was amazing. Yeah. And the reason it's interesting now in retrospect is that, you know, I had no technical skills to speak of. I had never worked in business or industry. I couldn't find my way around a balance sheet or an income statement. And yet what Clint saw on me was someone who was a potential and future leader. And what this program rewarded was leadership as opposed to technical skills. And so the theme that has been consistent over the entirety of my life is that every opportunity that has happened or that I have created for myself has been because of my ability to communicate strategically, effectively, persuasively, not because I knew more than anyone else about, you know, environmental policy or not because I was great at, you know, merger math, but because I could communicate. And so that is what I've dedicated my life to is, is helping people bridge that gap between their technical expertise and then their ability to communicate. Because what I find in the world is that everyone is smart, right? Everyone has amazing experience. Everyone's qualified. We live in a hyper-competitive global economy. But really and truly, I don't think most professionals' communication skills match their level of technical expertise. And in my case, they were woefully, you know, imbalanced, right? Like I have no technical skills to speak of, but I've been able to talk myself into a bunch of really great jobs and then build a business off teaching other people how to communicate. Yeah. And if you can match them up and you have both, if you have the technical skills and the communication skills, then, then, you know, the sky's the limit, I imagine. Right? And yeah. I think technical skills are easier to teach. I mean, listen, you can, sure, teach, you can go learn something. Right. right. You can learn accounting, you can learn marketing, you can learn, you know, statistics, but learning how to read a situation or how to get someone to trust you or how to walk in and make a positive impression. That's not so textbooky. So two things. First, I can really relate to your background. So you went, you know, from from traveling, you were in, in Peace Corps, Chile, and to Goldman Sachs, to business school. I went from, after the University of Virginia, I traveled in Latin America. And then I went to, I was the head, then I went to, right into college coaching. I was a re, division one wrestling coach, head wrestling coach eventually, and then straight into entrepreneurship. So this, this varied background, this varied path, which I feel... Uh, I, I just value that so much. Those, 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 just that array of experiences is, is so helpful whenever you get into anything else in the world because it just gives you different perspectives. So I can definitely relate to that. But Jody, you know, when you, when you talk about communication, like we all hear, we hear that, we hear that word all the time, right? People hear about communication. They go, okay, yeah, I know that I'm supposed to be a good communicator. And how do I work on that? Right. We hear, you know, every, every employer puts on their job postings, like good communication skills required. And every job applicant puts on their resume, you know, good communicator, right? Great point. Right. So how do we, how do we actually work on that? And I'll just give you sort of one reference point for myself. I remember this inflection point in my life where I went from completely ignorant of communication skills to, oh, this is a thing and it's really important and, and it has absolutely changed my life. And it's the number one book that I recommend to people. And it's simply, it's, it's how to win friends and influence people. Yep. And it, the book's been around forever and it's a corny title. But if you go to any bookstore in America right now, you're going to go there and they're going to have five copies on the shelves because yep. it's such a good book. It's a relevant book. And it opened my eyes to the fact that communication skills and emotional intelligence and listening to people is, is important. And it's changed my relationships with my my, you know, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with anybody who I've ever worked with, anybody, you know, who, whether they were a colleague or, or somebody who I was doing business with, it's, it's changed my life. So, so where do we start? I mean, where do we start with this big sort of nebulous idea of communication? 
Well, first of all, I love that you referenced the book. So I actually just bought it for my daughter. She's almost 13. Is there a kid's version or did you just buy the, the, the regular one? I think I bought her. Oh, it, there's no kid's version. I bought her the regular one. She's almost 13. They're, the newest yeah. one is sort of how to win friends, friends and influence people in the digital age. So there's okay. some you know, amend, amendments there. But she is one of those extremely academically you know, brilliant little kids, but struggles more on the social front. And so sure. it was so interesting that I totally agree with you. I mean, all these years later, if you think about just some of the key points in the book about right not criticizing others and being genuinely interested in other people right. and you know smiling and being a good listener things that just you they they really are sort of the lubricants of the of the working world of, of building a career is knowing how to interact with others so in first of all I think it's a great place to start that book one of the things that's so interesting to me is that Young people today are not growing up with the reps that we did growing up. Now, I am 46 years old. I am yeah, I'm 43. Okay. I started working when I was 15 years old, and I've been interacting with adults my entire life. So when I grew up, it was not you had to, when you had to call a friend, you had to talk to their parents first and get through a game, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So when you went to someone's house, you were talking to adults. When I had my first job, you know, in retail at 15 or when I was a White House intern at 20, you know, 19, I was working with adults and it was all based on communication. And so one of the challenges I think today is that we've replaced so much live face-to-face conversation with technology that so many people today would absolutely in a heartbeat send a text message, right, versus picking up the phone and calling someone. It's almost like, you know, the art of talking on the phone is, is somewhat of a dying art. So part of it is putting yourself in situations where you need to talk to people, where you need to look them in the eye, where you need to ask for something, where you need to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, where you don't send the email, but you actually get up out of your chair and you go have a live conversation. So that's one place, I think, in terms of starting. If you know that communication skills don't come super readily to you or you feel like you always default to technology, then part of it is getting up out of your seat and forcing yourself to just practice the reps of small talk, of introducing yourself, of beginning a conversation, of asking for help, of delivering bad news. So that's one small piece. And I would suggest your book as well. Tell us a little bit about your book, which is titled Great on the Job, What to Say, How to Say It, The Secrets of Getting Ahead. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I, so great. The, the book Great on the Job is all about mastering daily one-on-one conversation. So everything from how do you ask for help and sound smart while you do it, to how do you answer a question you don't know the answer to, to how do you raise a red flag and tell your boss there's a problem coming down the pipeline. Those are the types of conversations that are so critical to success yet are not taught. And the, I think the beauty and the power of the book is that I happen to be married to someone who is not a naturally skilled communicator. So my husband, Eric, he and I are like the peanut butter. I hope Eric's not listening to this. No, he knows. He knows. <laughs> My business was his idea. And so that's where this is. That's what's so interesting is that he ideated this business because he used to listen to me work 24 seven when I was at Goldman Sachs. And one day he said to me, Jody, you should write a book on how to leave a voicemail. And I said, okay, that's crazy. Why would I ever write that? And who would ever read it? Like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in a nice, loving way. 
So I said, no, like absolutely not. And he said, Jody, I've read every communication book out there. I graduated from undergrad and I knew I was screwed. He was at the University of Michigan Business School undergrad. And he just recognized that he didn't have those social skills. And so he said, I've done as much self-help as you can do. And I've never learned more than I learned from listening to you. Wow. There, yeah, it was really sweet. And it was amazing, but in a maybe not so sweet way, I sort of said to him again, lovingly, I said, Eric, I think you're an outlier by like three standard deviations, right? <laughs> I, I, I love you, but I think most people fall within the bell curve and are good communicators. And he said, I disagree. And so we had this running argument for months. And finally, he put a business plan together. He sent it to me. I was coming home. I was covering Israel for Goldman Sachs, you know, working these crazy hours and traveling and I'm on an overnight flight and I read this business plan and I started crying because I was so touched by his insight and I was so moved and I was also like oh he he might be onto something and so he basically said it was called speaking superstar at the time and he basically said I'm the guy who walks into the office that no one wants to hear from. I can't get to the point. I beat around the bush. I talk for 20 minutes. I, you know, it's like annoying and frustrated and it's not productive. My wife is the opposite. She walks in, she gets to the point, she walks out, everyone listens, stuff gets done. And so he, he, we started reverse engineering the strategies that I use to communicate. And he said to me one day, I don't know how to get off the phone. And I said, what, what do you mean? Like, really? You don't know how to get off? He said, literally, what do you say? Goodbye? It's so awkward. <laughs> I said, no, it's thank you and forward momentum. Thank you so much for your time. It was great speaking with you. I'll look forward to staying in touch. Thanks so much for your time. Let me know if you have additional questions. Thanks so much for your time. I'll keep you posted on what happens next week. And he looked at me and he said, oh, well, I can do that. I just didn't know I was supposed to do that. And so that's the birth of great on the job. It was the reverse engineering of these strategies that I used and I never thought about and where he was able then to really put them into practice and learn. And so a decade later, I, I have a thriving business where we, we train, we've trained, you know, tens of thousands of people live. We've reached hundreds of thousands of people through online learning. And it turns out that Eric was more right than me. There are way more people who need help really deconstructing how to communicate effectively versus people like me who it comes naturally to. And I had never given it any thought. So I appreciate the fact that you go tactical. It's not this just, just theory and high level. It's a good idea to become a better communicator. And, and that's great. We need to understand that. But when, once we understand the why, which I think, I think most people do, if you're listening to this podcast, you clicked on the play button after you're reading the title for a reason, right? You want to be a better communicator and you want to understand tactics behind it. And, and it sounds like, Jody, that's what you get to in the book. And yeah. you referenced, you know, how do you, you know, how do you leave a voicemail? I mean, is there a tag? Like, do you actually have a tactic? For, or a strategy for, for leaving a voicemail? Well, so funny enough, right? That's not covered in the book, but the answer is yes. And, and what I'll say is you're absolutely right. I do not live in high-level theory. I give it about 2% of my time and energy and 98% it's, it goes into the how. Because what Eric had said to me was what was so frustrating about so much of the literature out there was you know, sure, you can tell someone it's important to be a good communicator, but then telling me to be confident or think outside the box isn't that helpful. <laughs> right. So for instance, right, if someone asks you a question you don't know the answer to, the strategy is, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, 
Here's how I'll figure it out. Boom, boom, boom. That is foolproof. That is proven. That is, you know, hundreds times over. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what role you're in. It doesn't matter how senior or junior. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. Here's how I'll figure it out. Boom. Man, boom. if you're on the receiving end of that, if I ask a question and somebody gives me that response, I, I feel confident in their in working with them, right? Yeah. As a colleague, right? I go, okay, they told me that they know these certain things and that gives me clarity on that. They told me what they don't know and that's helpful to know that. And then they, they give me an action plan. They told yeah. me what they're going to do to close the gap, to bridge the gap. And that's it. That's what I want. I want to know right. that this is not an, an open-ended loop. This is not a, something left untied and, and unbuttoned up. I know it's going to be executed upon. Yeah. And it gives you confidence that this person is competent and capable. And the truth is that's what we care about. We don't necessarily care about the answer to the question. We want to know that you can figure it out, that you can get the information, that you're on the ball and that you are in the loop. So yes, the whole point is to give someone confidence. So if I go back to your question about leaving a voicemail, there's a chapter in the book called the foolproof download. And so this works, whether you are live in person, it works, whether you're leaving a voicemail, it leaves, it works, whether you're writing an email and the, the foolproof downloads is this it's lead with the punchline and the punchline is what's new, different, or important. And that's really important. What's new, Mm. different, or important. Because what I say all the time is with all due respect, if you don't have information that's new, different, or important, don't come by my office. Don't pick up the phone. Don't send me an email. Or if you want to come by, let me know it's a social visit, right? This isn't business. But sure. that is your hurdle rate. That's what you start with, what's new, different, or important. Then you go to all your supporting facts and key highlights, and then you go to your action items and next steps. Many people, I mean, all of the time this happens, and I'm sure you could go through your inbox right now, Jim, and you could find a dozen emails where they are long and winding and boring, and you have no idea what the point is or what someone was trying to achieve, and they didn't leave yes. the punchline. And, and so that is a real, there's an art and a science to it. What it does is it, it takes some awareness. It takes a little bit more time on your part in the same way before you and I started talking today, right? You had sent me some prep questions, but you know, what's the punchline? What am I trying to get across? When you said, tell me about your background. And I started with actually my destination and what I do now and what I care about that was intentional. And that's because I put thought into the way that I communicate. And so if I'm picking up a client, if I'm, if I'm starting a client call and I'm pitching them on new business, I'm very clear about what my motivation is and what my punchline is. If I'm picking up the phone with a client to give them some bad news, right, I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm going to start front and center with what we need to discuss, and then I'm going to go into how we're going to fix whatever problem is that I've raised. The key word that I took out of all of that is intentional. Just yeah. intentional, right? You, you put some forethought into, into how you want to respond. How do you want to leave a voicemail? How do you want to have a difficult conversation? And for reference for any, any new listeners, there's a, a topic that I, I share quite a bit and I talk a lot, quite a, quite a bit about with uh, on my episodes and whether it's with a guest or, or a solo episode, but it's this idea of a productive pause. It's the idea of hitting the pause button so you can actually be intentional and ask yourself questions that will give you clarity. And the definition I've given it is it's a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that gives you clarity of action and peace of mind. So hitting the pause button before you go into a meeting, hitting the pause button before you leave a voicemail, hitting the pause button before you type the email and saying, what is important? What's important here? 
how do I start with the lead and then how do I structure this? So it's, it's clear and, you know, I'm going to start off with what's new, different or important and, and build from there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right, being intentional. And the thing is, a lot of us, our brains work in sort of chronological order, right? We're going to come in, and I'm going to tell you everything I did to get up to this point. Or I'm going to go into my boss's office and I want you to know that I've spent seven hours researching this. So I'm going to go through everything I did before I tell you where I am and what I think the right course of action is. And, and the idea of the foolproof download flips it on its head. You need to lead with the punchline. And to your point, you need to take a moment and figure out what that is before before you pick up the phone or walk into the meeting. So it is, it's about awareness. It's about, and it is about being intentional. You're absolutely right. Jody, can I pressure you and put you yeah. on the spot for one more tactic, for uh, whether it's from the book or, or something that, that comes up a lot with clients uh, or otherwise, just one yeah. communication tactic that would be useful. Oh, you want me to give you another one? Oh yeah. I thought you had a situation. No, I, I no. If you just sort of maybe a, a situation that comes up often yeah, sure. with your clients, et cetera. Yeah. Well, listen, I think a lot of times if we're talking to, you know, this podcast is maybe we've got leaders on the phone, we've got individual contributors. One thing I always say um, around asking for help. So asking for help is fraught with all of these ideas of, I want to make sure, you know, I don't want to look dumb. I want to make sure I know what I'm doing. And so someone will ask you to do something and you don't know how to do it. And you're like, great, thanks. I'm on it. And then you go back to your desk and you Google it. (laughs) Terrible strategy. We've all been there. Right. That's a terrible strategy. (laughs) The irony is, right, what are the chances when someone asks you to do something that you don't know how to do, what are the chances you're going to hit it out of of the park, right, and totally exceed expectations if you actually don't get any input or guidance from your manager? The chances are slim to none. And so the irony is the reason we don't ask for help is because we don't want to look dumb. But yet if we don't actually ask for input and guidance and help, there's no way we can show how smart we are and exceed expectations. So one of the things I always say is around asking for help is, again, a three-step strategy. If someone asks you to do something you don't know how to do, one, be enthusiastic. Great, thanks. That sounds like an awesome opportunity, right? No one wants a Debbie Downer. Don't roll your eyes. Don't have a bad attitude. I mean, who wants to hang out with you then? Be enthusiastic and then ask for the resources and guidance you need to set yourself up for success and or break it down into smaller steps so that you get feedback along the way. So resources and guidance. Great. Thanks so much. I've never done that before. Do you have an outline or template in mind I should take a look at? Do you have an idea of someone I should speak with who might be able to help me, right? Or um, do you have a recent example that someone's done that I should take a look at? Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't waste your time and energy. Don't waste anyone else's time. You know, get those resources you need up front. That doesn't make you look dumb. That makes you look like you have really good judgment. And then the other one is break it down into smaller steps along the way. So if I ask you to put together a marketing plan for a new product launch and you've never done it, you know, great, thanks. And that's a great opportunity. Let me put my thoughts down on paper and come back to you with an outline or let me work on the first three sections and come back to you to make sure we're on the same page. And so I go in the right direction. And you just see this time and time again that people don't have the confidence to ask for help. And so they go off on their merry way and they spend two weeks spinning their wheels and they, they hand in a crappy deliverable and it's a lose-lose. Those scripts are really helpful. Those examples really help put it in perspective. So thank you for that, Jody. Those are, those are good. And, and for the listener, as always, I'm going to have this in the action plan. So uh, everything you're hearing right now, the bullet points are all going to be put into the action plan. You can grab that at jimharshawjr.com slash action. And Jody, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about engagement because I know this is a major problem at work. So there are a lot of listeners right now who fall into the bucket of 
I'm not fully engaged in my job. Maybe they have one eye kind of, you know, scanning the ads for, for job, job postings or, um, or they're just not engaged. They don't, they're not excited about going to work. So whether they're a leader and, or an employee listening, how do, let's start with the leaders. How do the leaders engage their employees and their direct reports? And for those who aren't leaders, uh, or even those who are leaders who are still kind of have that one eye, you know, open looking for something else, how, how do you recommend they engage themselves? Because I don't want to put all the onus on just the, the leaders. I may just leave that in there because this is real. Jody and I both. No, totally. Stuff so happens. This is, this is part of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, how do you how does the leader engage individuals and how does the individual become more engaged in their work? So a couple of things. Well, one, when we started off earlier, I mentioned I'm very right tactical, practical in the weeds. There are actually four high level themes of great on the job, and they're core to everything I believe in and everything I talk about. So I'm going to introduce you to those concepts, and then maybe I'll give you some practicalities as they relate to it. So. Great. The, um, what I would say, the characteristics of all great employees and all great professionals, and frankly, those who are engaged, right, is an idea of gift. And gift stands for generosity, initiative, forward momentum, and transparency. And so I believe at the heart of all productive, impactful, effective professionals and leaders is this concept of gift. And so generosity is not something that comes to top of mind when you think about great leaders, but I would argue it is core to leading a team and getting buy-in and getting people who are willing to go through the wall for you. So let me talk you through generosity initiative for momentum and transparency, just quickly each one. It will, it will speak to this idea of engagement. So generosity is everything from sharing information, sharing resources, sharing expertise, to and sharing time, right? Being that person who's generous and thinking about, you know, how can I help my team? To sharing the credit, giving props to your team for a job well done, to sharing candid feedback, to giving people an idea of how they can improve in their job. And so generosity to me comes in a million different forms, but the easiest way to think about it is it's walking in every single day and asking yourself this question, how can I make my boss's life better or easier? How can I make my team's life better or easier? Or how can I make my customer's life better or easier? And so when you put it in that context and you think about engagement, right? If you are a leader and you are trying to drive engagement, one of the questions you should probably ask yourself is, what can I do to help my team be better? How can I help my team do their best work? Or what can I do to make their life better or easier? That's sort of servant leadership. And that's not usually what we think. We think of, right, the junior team is saying, how can I make my boss's life better or easier? Which, by the way, you should do. Sure. You know, make your bosses. It's a two-way street. Yeah, it's 100% a two-way street. So that's generosity. Initiative. Don't wait for people to ask you to do something. Raise your hand and do it, right? Don't wait for permission. Ask for forgiveness. You always need to be taking initiative. No one listening on the line today got their incredible job because they were sitting at home eating bonbons and the phone rang, right? You worked your tail off to go to school, to get an education, to get an entry-level position, to get promoted, to get hired. There's a ton of initiative that goes with your career and no one else cares more about your career than you do. So don't wait for people to bring opportunities to you. You need to make them happen. That's closely related to the third one, which is forward momentum. It's always about moving the ball forward. So wait, I want to think of this guy's name. The coach of Alabama. I just, Nick Saban? 
Yeah, thank you, Nick Saban. Sure. So Nick Saban, I have this great quote by him. Nick Saban, I know they got crushed this year, right? But he's one of the more winning football coaches. Of course, yeah. He's, yeah right? Yeah, Hall of Famer, football. one of the best. Yeah, beloved guy, you know, hugely successful football coach, college football. And so one year after they won the national championship, there were all these photos of him celebrating his success and, you know, pouring champagne and, and all that. And then he was giving an interview and he said, you know, about two hours later, one of the reporters came up to me and said, Nick, you, you know, you don't look so happy. What's wrong? And he said, well just thinking about what the issues are going to be for next year. <laughs> and I, it really stopped me in my tracks. Like Nick Saban is already thinking two hours after winning the national championship about how he's going to put together a winning team for the next year. Sure. Yeah. And so on some level, we should celebrate our successes a little more, but on the same level, right, he is all about forward momentum and that's why he's so successful. He's always thinking about what do I do next? And by the way, so is your boss. So is your board of directors right? That is why they're in a position of leadership because you are always thinking about moving the ball forward. Yeah. And then the last one is transparency. And so I, I always, listen, I'm not, you know, I don't teach business ethics. We all know you can't lie, but being transparent is being proactive with information. So when you're missing information, acknowledge it and go get it. When you don't know the answer to someone, tell me, right? Here's what I know. Here's what I don't. Here's what I, here's how I figure it out. When you see a problem coming down the pipeline, don't hide under it, right? You highlight me, JP Morgan, CEO, problems huh, don't sure. age well. So if you put gift together, right? I always call it the gift of great on the job. If you are generous, if you take initiative, if you're always thinking about moving the ball forward, and if you are transparent, you are going to be someone who is more engaged at work. And the reason is, is because you're going to get better work. You're going to win the trust and respect of your colleagues. You're going to, you're going to, open the doors for new opportunities. And so what I say to leaders, I think your question was as leaders, how do you get your team more engaged? There's something else I call the learn strategy, which is create opportunities for people on your team to A, learn new skills because no one, you know, people get bored and we live in a world where our skills are being outdated so quickly now. You know, push your team outside their comfort zone, challenge them to learn. Also give your team, so LEARN stands for Learn, Excel, Assist, Redirect, and Network in my world. So if you are a leader, push your team, give them opportunities to learn new skills. Also give them opportunities to excel and show off their stuff so they feel good about themselves, so they get small wins in, so they get credit, so you show off their talents, right? Give them opportunities to learn, to be on a steep learning curve, but also give them opportunities to excel. And by the same token, think about redirecting and networking. Are there things on your team's plate that you need to get off of their plate because they're not engaged, because they're not doing challenging work, because they've been doing the same thing over and over again, and it's really time to pass it on? And or do you need to create opportunities for them to build their network, to work with people internally who are well-respected, well-connected, well-regarded? Think about who they might need access and exposure to. As a leader, you can do that. You can be really thoughtful, again, intentional about giving your team opportunities so they feel challenged, so they feel rewarded, so they feel connected. That's how you deal with the challenge of engagement. And for the listener, I, listen, I, I, two things I want to mention. Number one, if you do have your kind of eyes looking for the next thing or you're just not stoked about the work that you do, this is real stuff that, that Jody just shared with you. And, and you can actually go do this. You can listen to the podcast and then turn it off and go about your life and do, you know, go back to what you were doing and, and, and nothing changes. Or you can say, you know what she said, you know, a bunch of things right there. You can hit rewind and go back to the last five minutes. She, she just gave you a, a lot of great stuff. 
And you can go back and you go, okay, I'm going to pick three things out of here, three action items, three things I can do in the next day or week or month and actually implement these things. And you may have to set a reminder on your phone to, to remember to, to be generous or to be transparent every day when you walk in the doors to your work. But she gave you real world stuff that you can do. And she, in the, in the transparency thing, which might be kind of hard, but she actually gave you language and a script that you can use. If you don't know, if you're assigned a task and you don't know what to do, she actually told you how to say it. So write down the script, practice it out loud if you have to, while you're jogging on the treadmill or, or, or driving or commuting, whatever you're doing right now, go back, listen to it again, practice it, and then actually put this into practice, right? Thank you. That was a great summary. But yes, you can do this tomorrow, right? Listening now on the radio, this is not a, this is, these are muscles you need to flex, right? It's not like you have to learn how to be generous. You can put awareness into it and offer to share your time and expertise. In terms of learning a new skill, you can raise your hand and ask for the opportunity directly from your manager or go to your mentor, right? So we talked about the learn strategy from the point of the manager, but you can also put it into practice for your own living, right? Am I not on a steep learning curve? Wow. That might mean my career is flatlining. I got to, I got to step up my game. I got to step out of my comfort zone. I got to ask for a new challenge. You absolutely, I a hundred percent echo your comments, Jim. This is all within your power to put into practice immediately. Yes. So Judy, I, before we wrap up and I, I kind of go to the last few questions that I ask uh, most all of my guests, I want to ask you one more question. So the reason in the, in the way that you and I connected was because my sister saw you speak at a conference in Salt Lake City a few months ago. And right after you spoke and did the keynote, she said, Jim, you've got to have this lady, Judy <laughs> Clickman, on your podcast. She's awesome. And she said it. she told us this thing about power positions. And yep. I, I wonder if you can share that, this, this idea that if you stand in a certain position, you can actually change how you feel and measurable sort of hormones in your body. I mean, can yeah. you, can you share that? Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, let me ask you this, Jim. So you were a wrestling coach, right? And a, yes. and a division one athlete. How do you feel after you have a great workout? How do you feel physically? Alive, um, energized, um, confident, yeah. um, you know, positive, but you know, fatigued, but, but you okay, feel but, but you, right. All of those things. And how do you feel mentally after a great workout? Uh, satisfied, fulfilled, glad I did that. Right. Um, yeah. Great. So here's the thing. We all know this intuitively for anyone who exercises, right? I, I can find myself having a bad day. And the only thing that will get me out of it is going for a walk or a hike or a run. I need to change my physical state. And then I feel better physically, but I also feel better emotionally. I feel stronger, right? I feel more optimistic. I feel more confident. And so the idea of power posing was, was um, done. Uh, the researcher at Harvard at Harvard. Her name is Amy Cuddy. She's a social psychologist. She is one of the most TED talk watched TED talks of all time. Yeah. I recommend very, it. Yeah, yeah. Great TED talk. Amy, Amy Cuddy. And so Amy Cuddy did some research and experiments on power posing. And what they found was that when you are putting your body in a position of low power, so when you are sitting waiting for an interview and you're outside, right, and you're huddled up in your chair and you're staring at your resume and you're making yourself small, you are putting yourself in a position of low power. Now contrast that 
with the stereotypical CEO who is a white male who's sitting at his desk with his arms, shoulders up, right? His arms at his side, behind his head, feet up on the desk. And he literally is roaring power. Like he's taking up a ton of physical space. Sure. So this isn't just a gender thing, but it does play out in gender sort of politics, if you will. That when you put yourself in a position of power, you feel more confident. You can literally change the chemistry in your brain. And so what your sister loved, I'm sure, was I had everyone, so I I ran a brief clip of Amy Cuddy, and then I had everyone go into a low power position, okay, curling up really small, touching your neck, crossing your arms, and then I had them read a script, and the script was, I am in charge, I am powerful, I'm on top of the world, and we're all in a really low power position, and it sounds absurd. You feel ridiculous. You can't even say it with a straight face. And then by the same token, we go into a really high power pose and we say, I can't do it. I'm helpless. I'm powerless. And you also feel ridiculous. And so the, what Amy Cuddy ends her TED Talk is with this sort of you know, life hack, like pass it on. If you, if you have a high stakes conversation, if you need to project confidence, if you need to get yourself sort of steeled up for something, then you need to put your body in a position of high power so that your brain chemistry matches your physicality, matches your words. And so I'm, I'm happy to, you know, share some slides with you if you want, but that is really the gist of it. And it is potentially life-changing because anyone who sat really nervous hunched over knows like then to go in and say, you know, I own it is really hard to do. And I just want to point out that this is body language. Okay. So we always think about body language as a way to read somebody else or like what message am I signaling to somebody else through body language? And I pay a lot of attention to that these days. And, but it's also, you're communicating to yourself. And that's what you're telling us is you're actually communicating to yourself. If you're sitting with, you know, legs crossed, arms folded, hunched over, head down, you're taking up as little space as possible and you feel small. And then you can change that physical space and physical state. And I do that. I notice sometimes I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm totally closed. If I fold my arms and and cross my legs, I go, wait a second, something just happened within me that made me want to go small. Was it something yeah. they said? Is it something that they're challenging me on? Is it something that I don't want to share? And I will change my body position. I'll uncross my legs, open my arms and make myself just more open to somebody so I can change my mental state. And this is like, this is real stuff. It actually works and it makes you feel better. It's, it's part of communication, whether it's with, you know, that person behind the desk who is intimidating, like whether it's, you know, communicating to them or communicating to yourself or both, like, you can do this every day, right? Whether it's an interview or whether it's a sales conversation or whether it's a conversation with a colleague or your spouse, your kids even. I mean, this is real stuff. Yeah. And thank you for making that delineation. A, yes, I should have, I was talking about body language and you're absolutely right. The, the key message is your body language does not only impact how others perceive you, it impacts how you think and feel about yourself. That is the yeah. punchline that I buried it. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, love it, love it. Thank you. So Judy, I want to, change the subject one more time on you and ask you this, right? So we see somebody like you, you've started your own business, you have a team, you're standing in front of big audiences and you've written a book and, and it's like, you've done amazing things and you are impacting the world. You've stepped into your fear. Can you tell us about a time that you failed, right? We look at someone like you and we say, ah, oh, everything was just easy for her, right? Everything was yeah. just smooth sailing. Can you tell us about a time we failed and, sure. failed and actually had yeah. to work through hopelessness or, or self-doubt? 
Well, there's lots of them. A quick one, which just makes me laugh. I, I got an F on my finance final in business school, which I mean, it's amazing to me. A, they do not hand out Fs lightly in business school. Like it is so hard to fail a class in graduate school, but it was in finance no less. And I, and I got myself hired at Goldman Sachs. So that one took some finessing to speak to. <laughs> I had some serious test nerves. I had been doing well in the class. I failed the exam. Um, more recently, well, an, a, another one. So more recently, I left a meeting recently where we got some feedback where they said they, they didn't really like Jody's presentation style, which is not a piece of feedback I hear quite often, truthfully. Yeah. And it reminds me of another time. So when I was in business school, I was interviewing for a job with a management consulting firm. And I don't even remember which one. It would, Let's assume it was, you know, Deloitte or Accenture or McKinsey. I don't know. And the interviewer, I had the interesting experience of the interviewer was leaving the building and he was talking about me as he exited. So I heard the debrief of my interview and what he said was, well, you know what, Jody was, um, you know, interesting candidate, but she was intimidating and you don't know me, Jim, well, but I mean, I'm five, three on a good day. (laughs) No one has ever called me intimidating. And what I realized about that was, in both of those situations, in the meeting a couple weeks ago where someone said they didn't like my presentation style and that interview years ago where I didn't, get, I didn't get the job, obviously, and where I was, quote, intimidating, there was something about reading the situation that I didn't do well and I didn't mirror the other person's energy. And that's uh-huh. something I'm usually pretty good at. But in both of those instances, I would say that in those meetings, I was too something. And I don't even know what it was. I was either too assertive or aggressive or loud, right? I don't really know. And, and I'm pretty good at reading a room. So, but it was interesting to me. I think about those instances as it really does. There's this idea of mirroring that you match someone's energy. So if they're speaking loud, you take your voice up a notch. If they're sure. really self-spoken, then you take your down, you take your voice down in terms of their body language. You want to mirror their body language. So those are some small, you know, well, they were, you know, one of them was a high stakes conversation it was an interview for God's sakes. Um, so those are a couple of instances where I would say I have quote failed. Yeah. And I, yeah. I want to point out to the listeners, like this is someone who's very successful, very good at what she does. Like these things happen and it's not yeah. like they just happened like a long time ago and they no. like, they happened at the beginning, like yeah. they continue to happen. Right. And like, you know, I, I, my listeners know I, I, I'm, you know, I committed full time to what I'm doing now. And I did this just, you know, not that, you know, several, about five months ago as, as of the time this thing publishes. And, you know, I've had a lot of success at what I'm doing and I failed a lot of times and I'm still failing. And I have this mindset now. I really embrace the mindset of like every time I screw up or I fail or I lose an opportunity or, or, or just mess something up, I go, man, I, I truly actually honestly genuinely feel like I am now wiser and smarter and more experienced because of that. Yeah, for sure. Listen, you take all of that learning and you hopefully win the business next time when I pitch new business and we don't get it, right? Or you don't make the right impression or you're not prepared or you drop the ball. I mean, God, that stuff happens all of the time. There's no question. Yeah. Just one last thing I'll, I'll leave your listeners with because this surprises people sometimes. I had credibility very early on in building my business. I got amazing clients right out the gate, but here's what I didn't have. I didn't have revenue. So, you know, people look at me now as a successful entrepreneur, potentially. My first year in business, I earned $12,000. Wow. And I think about that often in terms of 
it was not an easy road. I didn't decide to become an entrepreneur and all of a sudden I had a successful business. It took me three years to really earn a decent living. And so I had come from Wall Street. I had socked away some savings. I could do that. But I, I never want anyone for one minute to think that I sort of went into business and had these amazing clients and I did get a book deal. I had some real amazing things happen in the realm of credibility, but revenue that took a lot, a lot longer. So it's not necessarily failure, but it certainly is different than what it looks like on the outside. And I always want people to know, I mean, it is a grind, right? It takes a long time to build a business. And I certainly never thought of myself as a quote overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. The, the struggle is real is what you're saying, Jody, yeah. and, uh, and I can echo that as well. Jody, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you, follow you, et cetera? Yeah, please. Thank you so much. So greatonthejob.com. That is my website, greatonthejob.com. And, or if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, I am just Jody Glickman, J-O-D-I-G-L-I-C-K-M-A-N. And I post on there quite regularly, have sort of stopped my Twitter habit a while ago. So really that's the best (laughs) place to find me. would love to hear from your listeners. Thank you so much for hosting me, Jim. This was super fun. Yeah, this was super fun. And for the listener, I'll have all those links and uh, all the bullet points and a lot of great stuff, scripts and quotes and everything from Jody. Right in the action plan, just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And as always, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. 